Section 44 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 15 The News Media and the Disorders, Part 1. The President's charge to the Commission asked specifically what effect do the mass media have on the riots? The question is far-reaching, and a sure answer is beyond the range of presently available scientific techniques. Our conclusions and recommendations are based upon subjective as well as objective factors, interviews as well as statistics, isolated examples as well as general trends. Freedom of the press is not the issue. A free press is indispensable to the preservation of the other freedoms this nation cherishes, the recommendations in this chapter have thus been developed under the strong conviction that only a press unhindered by government can contribute to freedom. To answer the President's question, the Commission directed its field survey teams to question government officials, law enforcement agents, media personnel, and ordinary citizens about their attitudes and reactions to reporting of the riots arranged for interviews of media representatives about their coverage of the riots, conducted special interviews with ghetto residents about their response to coverage, arranged for a quantitative analysis of the content of television programs and newspaper reporting in 15 riot cities during the period of the disorder and the days immediately before and after, from November 10th through 12th, 1967, sponsored and participated in a conference of representatives from all levels of newspaper, news magazine, and broadcasting industries at Poughkeepsie, New York. Finally, of course, the commissioners read newspapers, listened to the radio, watched television, and thus formed their own impressions of media coverage. All of these data, impressions, and attitudes provide the foundation for our conclusions. The Commission also determined very early that the answer to the President's question did not lie solely in the performance of the press and broadcasters in reporting the riots proper. Our analysis had to consider also the overall treatment by the media of the Negro ghettos, community relations, racial attitudes, urban and rural poverty, day by day and month by month, year in and year out. On this basis, we have reached three conclusions. First, that despite instances of sensationalism, inaccuracies, and distortions, newspapers, radio, and television, on the whole, made a real effort to give a balanced factual account of the 1967 disorders. Second, that despite this effort, the portrayal of the violence that occurred last summer failed to reflect accurately its scale and character. The overall effect was, we believe, an exaggeration of both mood and event. Third, and ultimately most important, we believe that the media have thus far failed to report adequately on the causes and consequences of civil disorders and the underlying problems of race relations. With these comments as a perspective, we discuss first the coverage of last summer's disturbances. We will then summarize our concerns with overall coverage of race relations.
Coverage of the 1967 Disturbances We have found a significant imbalance between what actually happened in our cities and what the newspaper, radio, and television coverage of the riots told us happened. The Commission, in studying last summer's disturbances, visited many of the cities and interviewed participants and observers. We found that the disorders, as serious as they were, were less destructive, less widespread, and less of a black-white confrontation than most people believed. Lacking other sources of information, we formed our initial impressions and beliefs from what we saw on television, heard on the radio, and read in newspapers and magazines. We are deeply concerned that millions of other Americans who must rely on the mass media likewise formed incorrect impressions and judgments about what went on in many American cities last summer. As we started to probe the reasons for this imbalance between reality and impression, we first believed that the media had sensationalized the disturbances, consistently overplaying violence and giving disproportionate amounts of time to emotional events and militant leaders. To test this theory, we commissioned a systematic quantitative analysis, covering the content of newspaper and television reporting in 15 cities where disorders occurred. The results of this analysis did not support our early belief. Of 955 television sequences of riot and racial news examined, 837 could be classified for predominant atmosphere as either emotional, calm, or normal. Of these, 494 were classified as calm, 262 as emotional, and 81 as normal. Only a small proportion of all scenes analyzed showed actual mob action, people looting, sniping, setting fires, or being injured or killed. Moderate Negro leaders were shown more frequently than militant leaders on television news broadcasts. Of 3,779 newspaper articles analyzed, more focused on legislation which should be sought and planning which should be done to control ongoing riots and prevent future riots than on any other topic. The findings of this analysis are explained in detail later in this chapter. They make it clear that the imbalance between actual events and the portrayal of those events in the press and on the air cannot be attributed solely to sensationalism in reporting and presentation. We have, however, identified several factors which, it seems to us, did work to create incorrect and exaggerated impressions about the scope and intensity of the disorders. First, despite the overall statistical picture, there were instances of gross flaws in presenting the news of the 1967 riots. Some newspapers printed scare headlines, unsupported by the mild stories that followed. All media reported rumors that had no basis in fact. Some newsmen staged riot events for the cameras. Examples are included in the next section. Second, the press obtained much factual information about the scale of the disorders, property damage, personal injury, and deaths, from local officials who often were inexperienced in dealing with civil disorders and were not always able to sort out fact from rumor in the confusion. 
at the height of the Detroit riot, some news reports of property damage put the figure in excess of $500 million. Subsequent investigation shows it to be $40 million to $45 million. The initial estimates were not the independent judgment of reporters or editors. They came from beleaguered government officials. But the news media gave currency to these errors. Reporters uncritically accepted and editors uncritically published the inflated figures, leaving an indelible impression of damage up to more than ten times greater than actually occurred. Third, the coverage of the disorders, particularly on television, tended to define the events as black-white confrontations. In fact, almost all of the deaths, injuries, and property damage occurred in all Negro neighborhoods, and thus the riots were not race riots as the term is generally understood. Closely linked to these problems is the phenomenon of cumulative effect. As the summer of 1967 progressed, we think Americans often began to associate more or less neutral sights and sounds, like a squad car with flashing red lights, a burning building, a suspect in police custody, with racial disorders, so that the appearance of any particular item, hardly in itself inflammatory, set off a whole sequence of association with riot events. Moreover, the summer's news was not seen and heard in isolation. Events of these past few years, the Watts riot, other disorders, and the growing momentum of the civil rights movement, conditioned the responses of readers and viewers, and heightened their reactions. What the public saw and read last summer thus produced emotional reactions and left vivid impressions not wholly attributable to the material itself. Fear and apprehension of racial unrest and violence are deeply rooted in American society. They color and intensify reactions to news of racial trouble and threats of racial conflict. Those who report and disseminate news must be conscious of the background of anxieties and apprehension against which their stories are projected. This does not mean that the media should manage the news or tell less than the truth. Indeed, we believe it would be imprudent and even dangerous to downplay coverage in the hope that censored reporting of inflammatory incidents will somehow diminish violence. Once a disturbance occurs, the word will spread independently of newspapers and television. To attempt to ignore these events, or to portray them as something other than what they are, can only diminish confidence in the media and increase the effectiveness of those who monger rumors and the fears of those who listen. But to be complete, the coverage must be representative. We suggest that the main failure of the media last summer was that the totality of its coverage was not as representative as it should have been to be accurate. We believe that to live up to their own professed standards, the media simply must exercise a higher degree of care and a greater level of sophistication than they have yet shown in this area, higher, perhaps, than the level ordinarily acceptable with other stories. This is not just another story. It should not be treated like one. Admittedly, some of what disturbs us about the riot coverage last summer stems from circumstances beyond media control, 
but many of the inaccuracies of fact tone and mood were due to the failure of reporters and editors to ask tough enough questions about official reports and to apply the most rigorous standards possible in evaluating and presenting the news reporters and editors must be sure that descriptions and pictures of violence and emotional or inflammatory sequences or articles even though true in isolation are really representative and do not convey an impression at odds with the overall reality of events the media too often did not achieve this level of sophisticated skeptical careful news judgment during last summer's riots the media and race relations our second and fundamental criticism is that the news media have failed to analyze and report adequately on racial problems in the united states and as a related matter to meet the negroes legitimate expectations in journalism by and large news organizations have failed to communicate to both their black and white audiences a sense of the problems america faces and the sources of potential solutions the media report and write from the standpoint of a white man's world the ills of the ghetto the difficulties of life there the negro's burning sense of grievance are seldom conveyed slights and indignities are part of the negro's daily life and many of them come from what he now calls the white press a press that repeatedly if unconsciously reflects the biases the paternalism the indifference of white america this may be understandable but it is not excusable in an institution that has the mission to inform and educate the whole of our society our criticisms important as they are do not lead us to conclude that the media are a cause of riots any more than they are the cause of other phenomena which they report it is true that newspaper and television reporting helped shape people's attitudes toward riots in some cities people who watched television reports and read newspaper accounts of riots in other cities later rioted themselves but the causal chain weakens when we recall that in other cities people in very much the same circumstances watched the same programs and read the same newspaper stories but did not riot themselves the news media are not the sole source of information and certainly are not the only influence on public attitudes people obtained their information and formed their opinions about the nineteen sixty seven disorders from the multiplicity of sources that condition the public's thinking on all events personal experience conversations with others the local and long-distance telephone are all important as sources of information and ideas and contribute to the totality of attitudes about riots no doubt in some cases the knowledge or the sight on a television screen of what had gone on elsewhere lowered inhibitions kindled outrage or awakened desires for excitement or loot or simply passed the word many ghetto residents we interviewed thought so themselves by the same token the news reports of riots must have conditioned the response of officials and police to disturbances in their own cities the reaction of the authorities in detroit was almost certainly affected in some part by what they saw or read of newark a week earlier the commission believes that none of these private or official reactions was decisive in determining the course of the disorders 
even if they had been more significant than we think however we cannot envision a system of governmental restraints that could successfully eliminate these effects and an effort to formulate and impose such restraints would be inconsistent with fundamental traditions in our society these failings of the media must be corrected and the improvement must come from within the media a society that values and relies on a free press as intensely as ours is entitled to demand in return responsibility from the press and conscientious attention by the press to its own deficiencies the commission has seen evidence that many of those who supervise edit and report for the news media are becoming increasingly aware of and concerned about their performance in this field with that concern and with more experience will come more sophisticated and responsible coverage but much more must be done and it must be done soon the commission has a number of recommendations designed to stimulate and accelerate efforts toward self-improvement and we propose a privately organized privately funded institute of urban communications as a means for drawing these recommendations together and promoting their implementation end of section 44 recording by maria casper